Welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me. You know, I've always been curious. I don't know why, I just know that I am. I'm a writer and a teacher and a storyteller, and my job is to be curious, to ask questions and to share the answers. This program explores my belief that why, that simple three-letter question, is the most powerful question that any human has ever asked. Every time we ask it, we challenge ignorance and the status quo. This, I believe. Curiosity leads to discovery. Discovery leads to knowledge. Knowledge leads to insight. And insight leads to understanding. Something that, let's face it, seems to be in short supply these days. So thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoy the program. I feel a little bit like a mad scientist at the moment because I'm in the kitchen during one of those rare times when Sabina isn't cooking something amazing. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine and I were kidding around about something, and he asked me if I had any evidence of the existence of a higher power in the universe. Absolutely, I told him. Nutmeg. Well, he looked at me the way people often do, you know, that just humor him until the professionals get here to take care of him look. And I said, have you ever smelled freshly ground nutmeg? Because if you had, you wouldn't look at me like that. You'd just nod slowly and go, oh yeah. Well, in this episode, we're talking about spices, the kind that I've lined up in front of me on the counter here. They're a lot more complicated and a lot more interesting than you probably realize. In fact, global wars have been fought over them. Industries have been created around them. Geopolitical forces have been shaped because of them. And at one time, some of them were worth more than gold. But frankly, that's the boring part. What I want you to do is a field trip like I'm doing right now. While you're listening to this episode, go into the kitchen and pull down a bunch of spice bottles. I recommend that you start with what cooks call the dark spices, the ones that are mostly used during the winter months, during Thanksgiving here in North America, the Christmas holidays, and so on. These are spices like nutmeg and cinnamon and cardamom and mace and cloves. Now, don't stop there, but I want you to start with those. What I want you to do is just line them up on the counter and then one by one, take the lid off and just sniff, but do it carefully. You don't want to sniff the powdered spice into your nose, just Inhale deeply enough to get a good nose full of the aroma. And by the way, don't forget the bottle of vanilla. You can't forget vanilla. Now, don't taste them, because none of them taste as good as they smell. In fact, it's ironic that very few spices actually taste good. In fact, most of them taste pretty awful. But the smell, we're talking higher power in the universe stuff. So while you're off on your sensory journey, let me tell you a little bit of the spice story. The spice trade started in what's now India and Sri Lanka more than 4,000 years ago. At first, cinnamon and black pepper were in high demand, mostly to add flavor to food. The Egyptians used herbs and spices to mummify the dead, and China, Korea, and India developed pretty sophisticated medical applications for herbs and spices. Now, it turns out that cloves are one of the longest known spices, but nutmeg, which comes from the Banda Islands in what's now known as Indonesia, they're also called the Spice Islands, it arrived quite a bit earlier. There are records of it being used in Europe more than 2,600 years ago. Now, by the time the Middle Ages rolled around, meaning the period between the 5th and 15th centuries, spices had become one of the most valuable commodities in the world. The ones that were in highest demand were true cinnamon, its close cousin cassia, which is sometimes called Vietnamese cinnamon today, black pepper, cumin, 
nutmeg, ginger, and cloves. Now, spices grow all over the place, but most of them came, at the time anyway, from plantations in Asia and Africa, which meant that to get them was expensive. Well, during the Middle Ages, the Republic of Venice, which at the time was a pretty powerful country in its own right, actually had a monopoly on all spices imported from the Middle East. Toward the end of that period, records estimate that about a thousand tons of black pepper and a thousand tons of all other spices were imported to Europe every year. Now, just for the sake of comparison, that's the equivalent of a year's supply of grain for a million and a half people. Well, as time passed, the demand for spices went up. By the time the 15th century rolled around, Spain and Portugal had become naval forces to be reckoned with, and both of them wanted to compete with the English. What they mostly wanted was to discover sailing routes that would help them get into the spice trade with Asia. Portugal's main player was a guy named Alfonso de Albuquerque, who sailed his fleet to the east and captured the island of Socotra at the mouth of the Red Sea, Ormuz in the Persian Gulf, Goa in India, and Malacca on the Malay Peninsula. And in the process of doing all that, he managed to sew up all the spice trade that existed with India, China, Siam, what we call Thailand today, and the Maluku Islands, which are east of what's now Indonesia. Now, when we think about countries heading off to unknown places in search of riches, we usually think about gold and silver and jewels. Think Cortez and the seven cities of gold, his Cibola, for example. But it turns out that spices were just as valuable, and in some cases even more so. One of their destinations was the New World, the Americas. And once they got there, it didn't take them long to discover new spices, vanilla, allspice, chocolate, and a pretty wide range of hot chili peppers. Now I'm going to push the pause button here on the history just for a little bit, and I want to talk about the spices themselves. When you research the history of spices, one of the most common things you find is that they were often used to cover up the smell and taste of meat that had gone bad. Now, that's just gross, and it's also wrong. I want you to think about the logic for a minute. In the 1600s, a pound of black pepper, the cheapest of all of the exotic spices, cost more than a large pig. So if somebody could afford to buy pepper, they could certainly afford to buy fresh meat. So that begs the question, where do spices actually come from? And I don't mean geographically, I mean what part of the plant? Well, it turns out that they actually come from nine different sources. First, we have seeds like black pepper and mustard and nutmeg and fennel. Then we have fruits like cayenne and chimayo peppers. Then we have something that's called the arrow, a part of the plant. Mace is the best example. In fact, here's an interesting little fact for you. If you look at a whole nutmeg on the tree, it looks kind of like an apricot. But if you pick one of them and you peel away the fleshy, sort of the fruit part, the part that we would eat if it was an apricot, when you peel it open, what you find is this great big seed inside, and that's the nutmeg. But you'll find that that seed is actually wrapped up in what looks like a little red octopus thing, and that's the arrow. And the arrow, in the case of nutmeg, is the spice called mace. In fact, there are only two plants on earth that yield multiple spices. Nutmeg and mace come from the same plant, and so do coriander and cilantro. By the way, did you know that there's a gene in the human genome that selects for whether or not you're going to like cilantro? 
People like me who love it have one gene. Others with a different gene can't stand it because to them it tastes like soap. Then we have cinnamon and cassia, which in turns out are the bark of a tree. Cloves are flower buds. Saffron is the carefully harvested stigma from a very specific type of crocus flower. Meanwhile, turmeric and ginger and galangal are roots and weird things like asafetida, which most kitchens don't have, but it's a pretty common spice in a lot of cuisines. Well, that's used as a flavoring and it tastes a lot like leeks. Those are sticky resins that come from the taproot of a plant that looks a lot like celery. It has a really strong smell, and some people call it devil's dung or stinking gum. And then finally, the last category, we eat rocks. Yep, the only rock we eat is salt, but it is in fact a mineral. Now, we also eat a lot of spice mixtures because they taste good together. These include things like Cajun spice, all kinds of pepper mixtures, Indian curries, Chinese five spice, garam masala from Southeast Asia, Jamaican jerk spice, quatre pieces from France, speculas from Belgium and the Netherlands, za'atar from the Middle East, and pumpkin pie spice from the U.S. Now, spices taste good because they give off these volatile oils that oxidize as soon as they're exposed to the air. And that's why freshly ground spices taste and smell a heck of a lot better than spices that come in a jar already ground. Whole spices are good for about two years, but as soon as you grind them, their shelf life drops really quickly to about six months. In fact, last night, I ground a pile of fresh nutmeg for a recipe that Sabina was making, and we had a little bit of it left over. It smelled absolutely glorious. But this morning, when I stuck my nose in the dish, it barely had any smell at all. Now, some spices dissolve in water, but most of them only dissolve in fat, meaning oil or butter. In fact, one of the chefs I spoke with told me that the secret to her pumpkin pie recipe is that she fries the cinnamon and nutmeg in butter before she folds it into the pie batter. Okay, I have to go back to the history a little bit because the story gets very, very interesting and very geopolitical at this point. I want you to travel with me for a few minutes to Indonesia, specifically to the Banda or Spice Islands in the early 17th century. Let me introduce you to Nathaniel Courthope. Nathaniel was hired by the British East India Company, and the company quickly dispatched him to the Banda Islands to establish a presence there given that they were the main source of nutmeg on the planet. On Christmas Day in 1616, he landed his two ships, the Swan and the Defense, on Run, the smallest of the Banda Islands. Now, smallest doesn't cover it. Run measures two miles by two and a half miles. It's a tiny little dark green speck of land, pretty mountainous, and it's covered with nutmeg plantations. His mission was to break the stranglehold that the Dutch had at the time on the nutmeg market. Now, once he was on the island, he convinced the locals to form an alliance with the British to export their nutmeg, even though the Dutch already claimed the Bandas as their territory. And then things got ugly. Court Hope lost both of his ships to a combination of mutiny and Dutch attacks, but he wasn't about to give up. He fortified the island and he built forts that overlooked the most likely naval approaches from the east. And then, for the next 1,540 days, that's four years, two months, and 18 days, with 39 men and a few local people, and with very little food and water, 
he managed to hold off attack after attack after attack by the Dutch. The directors of the British East India Company dispatched letter after letter to Courthope, telling him that he should abandon his post and return home. But he refused, choosing instead to defend the tiny island for the crown. Well, late one night, while rowing to a nearby island to support the local people against the Dutch, he was surprised by a Dutch ship and attacked. During the skirmish, he was shot. He jumped into the water and swam for shore, but he died along the way. While all this was going on, the Dutch and British East India Companies, both of which, by the way, were founded to go after the spice trade, and both of which were extraordinarily powerful organizations, they got tired of losing ships and cargo, so they agreed to meet. They came to a meeting of the mines that worked for both of them. Thanks to Nathaniel Courthope's unyielding defense of runs five square miles of nutmeg plantations on behalf of the English crown, the British were able to claim legal title over the tiny little speck of an island. Then, after lengthy but pretty civil negotiations, the British agreed to a deal with the Dutch. They would give up control of run, but would be given the unlimited right to buy nutmeg at wholesale prices from the Dutch. And in exchange for run, the British would be given ownership of another island, this one in the New World, that was held by the Dutch. It was called Manhattan. Yep, that Manhattan. So the next time you're in New York City or thinking about the Big Apple, think about the fact that the Big Apple wouldn't be here if it weren't for nutmeg. Okay, hopefully you've continued to dig around in the spice cabinet, opening and smelling all those wonderful exotic smells. I remember a trip years ago to do some work in the Middle East, and my friend Nasser Balut took me to a local spice market. It was amazing. Huge bags filled with raw spices, piles of bitter lemons, great big chunks of unidentifiable resins and saps, and a hundred kinds of honey. I bought all kinds of stuff to bring home to Sabina, including frankincense and myrrh. I mean, come on, what kitchen is complete without frankincense and myrrh? Anyway, spices give aroma and color and texture and flavor to food. And flavor, or taste, falls into five distinct categories that our taste buds can identify. Bitter, sour, sweet, umami, and salty. Now, these five can then be subdivided, creating another 12 flavors. Cooling, earthy, floral, fruity, herbaceous, hot, nutty, piney, pungent, spicy, sulfury, and woody. Well, let's start with the five basic flavors, bitter, sour, sweet, umami, and salty, that we get from spices. I'll give you an example of each one. Bitter would be things like bay leaf or turmeric or thyme. Sour is dried lemon peel or tamarind or hibiscus. Sweet is, of course, honey, but also nutmeg, caraway seed, and allspice. Umami would be dried mushroom powder, tamari soy powder, that rich, deep, complicated, mysterious flavor that you get if you lick a bouillon cube. And by the way, umami is the flavor that MSG, monosodium glutamate, gives to food. And then finally, we have salty, and that would, of course, be salt. And by the way, when all of these different kinds of salt began to show up in the supermarket, I rolled my eyes and I called it a marketing gimmick. Hey, I took chemistry. Salt is salt. Luckily, Sabina was there to knock some sense into me. It's not always science, she told me. Some things just taste good. Well, she was right. 
Kosher salt is very different. And it has that name because it has very large coarse flakes that work well in the kosher food preparation process. The large surface area of the flakes adds a very distinct flavor. Himalayan salt, which is usually pink, comes from the Kudam salt mine in northern Pakistan. Like all salts that are a color other than white, it has mineral impurities that give it a slightly different flavor and color. Sea salt has big, uneven flakes and is either gray or white or slightly pink. Black salt from India has sulfur in it and a very pungent smell. Black lava salt has charcoal from burned coconut shells mixed into it. And then we have all of those subdivisions I talked about earlier. Cooling would be spearmint. Earthy, an example is turmeric. Floral, lavender. Fruity would be something like coriander. Herbaceous, fennel. Hot, any of a number of different peppers. Nutty would be something like cumin seed. Piney would be rosemary. Pungent, asafetida or wasabi. Spicy would be something like ginger. Sulfury, chives. And woody, juniper berries. Now, today, we don't fight wars over these things, but spices are still big business and India pretty much dominates the market. In 2020, the country exported just over a billion kilograms of spices with a market value of over $3 billion. What's interesting is that the largest spice company in the world is here in the United States. It's McCormick & Company with a market cap of over $3 billion. Take a look at those spice jars in front of you. Some of them will probably have the McCormick label on them. You know, I don't know, but when I think about the kinds of things that countries fight wars over, spices seem like as good a reason as any. I mean, just take a deep whiff of that vanilla there. I mean, don't you think that's worth fighting over? I do. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.